Praise the Lord, everybody. Glad to see you on this afternoon. Um, all my friends and, and soon-to-be friends. And if, you're, if you're not my friend now, by the end of this class, you probably won't be. <laughs> but we're, we're going to do our best. Um, this, this class is going to be very interactive. Um, I, I understand you have been taught and taught and taught all day. You've heard a whole lot of heavy, heavy, challenging things. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to make this as interactive as I can. Um, you may be moving around a little bit. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, talking back to me. But I hope you can have a good time. Um, and I hope you enjoyed enough to come back on on tomorrow. Um, if not, God bless you anyway. <laughs> Amen. My name is Faith Haygood. I'm the minister at the Metropolitan Church of Christ in um, Carson, California. Uh, I am. I don't know if I'm a native Californian or not, but I've been here since I was two. So. <laughs> I was born in Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Absolutely roll Tide. Absolutely roll Tide. Absolutely. And uh, on last year, I uh, taught a class called uh, 20 things, I think, um, um, black Christians wish, wish white Christians do, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it was my plan to teach something different this year. Um, and so people will come or contact me on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, what are you going to be teaching next year, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'm thinking about this. And they said, no. <laughs> You may have to continue that conversation. And so that's what I'm going to try to do um, today. I'm going to try to continue the conversation. Um, well, don't be sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm going to try to continue the conversation, say some things. Uh, I, I am never intentionally provocative. So... Well, I mean, you know, people, you don't know the things people call me. You poster. You know, I'm like, really? I just asked the question. You got mad. Uh, so, it, anyway, all right. <laughs> this is my wife. Um, we've been married 32 years. <laughs> 32. Indeed. She married me when I was 10. <laughs> well, actually, actually, I am older than she. Um, I know I don't look it, but, but I, I am. But as we see where I grew up, y'all ain't playing. <laughs> um, today, uh, in, our, in our world, our society, Race, prejudice, and we're just full of that. It's everywhere. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, was it two years ago, my wife and I were on our 30th anniversary. We were in Portland. Portland. Uh, we went to Portland because Portland is it's like a foodie spot. <laughs> so. I know you can't tell, but I love to eat. <laughs> so, so we were there and uh, having just an amazing time. Um, God has blessed me with the grace of this woman, and it's it's far more than I ever deserved. We were there and um, then on the TV, I saw consecutively. consecutively Four guys get shot. And my mind was, and the response took me back. I was born in 1962. Mm -hmm. um, and so 60s and 70s are my point of reference um, for race relations. Mm -hmm. 
But because of how things are now, then, my son's generation and my daughter's generation, they don't have the same view of race relations as I. Right? They, they have been sold on, we live in a post-racial America. So that's where their mind is. See, I grew up being taught you need to know how to navigate so you can make it home. Uh, that's not how my son grew up. You know, my son argues with the police. <laughs> because that's why he, he, he grew keep he went here, he graduated from here with a degree of philosophy. He wants to be a lawyer. So it's my right, blah, 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 blah. And I say that to contextualize my feelings on that day. Because I immediately defaulted to how I felt. 1969, 70, 71, 72, in Compton, California, when the brothers came down the street handing out the papers. Take one of these, brother. Take one of these, brother. You can't trust them pigs. Take one of these, brother. And, and my feelings of, of viewing uh, people being hosed down, it all just flooded back. Because I never wanted my son to experience that level of sociological trauma that I did. And it cut me to my core. Fast forward, my life is characterized by my relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. Amen. That's who I am. Ask folk that know me. I live out loud. I'm not the person who folks will say, well, do the people on your street know you're a Christian? I'm not that guy. They know. <laughs> <laughs> they probably wish they didn't. <laughs> so I live out loud. So that, that's, that's the context of my life. That's how I navigate the world. But then, but now my spiritual environment and my sociological environment are at conflict and have serious dissonance because of what's going on. How do I reflect the love of Jesus when where I am elicits a fear response from me? Because of how I grew up, those two fight or flight. Fight was always first, though. Mm -hmm. Flight came when you couldn't fight. If you couldn't win, you run. But my first response was, what do I do here? Fast forward from the 60s um, to the mid-70s, early to mid-70s, a, a uh, Alex Haley had a series of, of films called Roots, right? Very graphically demonstrated some things to us. And I just say that because, to let you know where my feelings went at that day. That's, how, that was, that's where my feelings went. Let me give you the other side of that. And I don't mean to sound cliche in it's going to sound cliche, but I don't mean for it to sound cliche. Literally, some of my best friends in the world are white. Literally. That's not a cliche. Literally, some of my best friends are. Coach Alan Trumbull in Park Plaza Church of Christ in Tulsa. Here, Andy Wall. These guys are my friends. But now, when I'm approaching them, I still cannot dismiss my automatic default, this visceral feeling. Can I trust you? And I know what comes off, you say, well, you know, well, you can, of course. This is not that day. The problem is, it kind of is. 
I'm going to read a lot of today. I hope not to bore you. I want to read something that I wrote um, as a precursor. People do wrong. Oh, just FYI, some of my friends are here. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Rick Hutton, Dr. Lawrence Murray, my boy Dave. There's a lot of people here. The inimitable Jeremy Howard. <laughs> a lot of my friends are here. Um, and because they're my friends, I don't feel judged. Right? Yes. My friends are just people. Watch this. People do wrong because people are people. Not angels, not perfect. People. That's why Christ had to give a commandment to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Matthew 7, 12. If it was natural, we wouldn't have to be told to do it. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, have consistent love among yourselves. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. We can't sell a church to the world that Christ never built. Christ never said that the church would be a place where sin wasn't a problem. In fact, he said he came to call those who are sick. Everyone in the church is at a different place in the recovery process. We have been given the cure, but the medicine works at different pace in each person. Do you feel me? He says, if we walk in love and grace toward one another, they, the world, will know we are Christians, his disciples, by our love. That's not a spotless perfection. That's a loving others in spite of their faults. Which presupposes, therefore, that people have faults. Because if I have to love you in spite of your faults, then you must have some faults. I'm a preacher, so touch your neighbor and say he's talking to you. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus modeled for us as he dealt with his earthly disciples? They misunderstood him. He loved them. They abandoned him. He loved them. They betrayed him. He loved them. They denied him. He loved them. They wanted to use him for selfish gain and position. He loved them. They denied the gospel message because of their feelings. He loved them. That's Jesus' expectation of the church and for us as individual disciples. Love, faith, hope. So let me ask you, what is God teaching you about you in this present racial climate? You do understand that our circumstances are our schools of spiritual development. You are going through this for God to develop in you what you need to see. And you can't see it if you're not willing to see it. Don't allow the devil, the enemy, the Satan to determine why you're going through this. Listen to God as he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you fall, face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I say that as a precursor because I'm not a person who believes uh, in, in the rights and the wrongs of the myths of my community. What I mean is this. I grew up under, don't trust that blue-eyed devil. I did but I don't believe that God made devils with blue eyes. I believe in some blue-eyed devils, some brown-eyed devils, some blind devils. I believe it's just some devils. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> so, 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 I, I, I don't, I don't uh, uh, try to relate to people based on that, but neither do I believe the opposite of that, that therefore, everybody's all right. I don't believe I'm okay, you're okay. I believe we're all jacked up. I'm not humanistic enough to believe that given the right circumstances and the right times, people will do right. Actually, what I believe is, given the right circumstances and the right times, people will do what is in their best interest. So as we, as we look at this idea of 
good church, bad church, black church, white church. I want to show you a couple of things here. What is the state of racial relations in the church? Is it like this? You know, we're shaking hands, but... <laughs> oh, okay, no? Is it like this? Like this? Oh, 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 it is this one, all right? Okay. How about this one? How about this? Occupying the same space, but not. How about this one? So you hope not? Oh, I've seen this one, though. <laughs> Probably more like this. <laughs> Where it's a whole mixed bag. And we ought not to kind of fold people into how we can fit them into how we want them to be. Oh, I want to play something for you. I want, I want to play something for you. Uh, uh, yeah, I, if you don't like it, uh, so. I got a fast food just a little bit. Like, I need breakfast that morning. I thought it was me. I'm not a friend of the black church. I ain't no. Black church is ridiculous, man. I'm not a friend of the black church. I ain't no. It's going to take that long. Like, I need breakfast that morning. I thought I was meeting about an hour. Oh my God, I almost died of malnutrition that day. <laughs> Sally Struthers to pop up, you know? So I was sitting in the church, man. I was like, why is this taking so long? You know? I figured out after the third service, why it taking so long? Because, um, you know, when you go to church white people, man, we don't say nothing. You know? We shut up and we listen. You know? If somebody tries to talk while our preacher's talking, we tell them, shh, zip it focused, okay? One more song, we're gone. <laughs> question I asked was, what was great about growing up in a predominantly white church? 
I, I didn't want people to tell me how horrible their life was. Just let me know. You know, what was great? Was there anything great? And I got so many um, uh, responses. Um, one of them that, that hit me um, was this her young lady named Hope. And what Hope said was that uh, the youth ministry was awesome. We were together all the time. I mean, every day. Another gentleman, this was a, was a black guy who grew up in a white church. He said, when I was younger, um, he's, a, he's actually a music minister. He, he reached out to me. He said, when I was younger, my, my dad died early. Like two years later, my mom died. And uh, so I'm like, like 12 now. And then I didn't know what to do. He said, so, you know, over the black church, they loved me, um, but, you know, they, they really just didn't know how to come, you know, they didn't know. So they just said, you know, well, we're going to pray for you and bless you. He says, but because I was like it, now I had to go to the white church sometimes. And what they did was they kidnapped me. They just came over and they said, we're going to get pizza. They didn't care how I felt about it. They said, we're going. <laughs> really? That's what he said. And so the youth group came and they took him to pizza. And so he's been at the white church ever since. Because they knew how to interact with him in his pain. Right? Um, so they were asking, you know, what was great about growing up in a predominantly white church? Um, one, uh, Monty, she said, well, it was great because the church was so close. We were so close. And I bring this one up because as, as an African-American guy, I, I've never been, I've been to a lot of white churches, but I've never been in a tender, you know. And what she said was, if we were so close, she said, now in church, she said, I can't ever remember laughing ever. <laughs> she said, we didn't make noise at all. <laughs> you sang, you shut up, you prayed, you know. That was it. We didn't make noise. They said, but after church, we were always in each other's homes. All the time. We were so close. And then we're sharing just how good it was. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of cool. I can see why you might want to go. Because, you know, what I, my experience was, you're not going to sing any better than this. There's just so many slow songs I can sing in a day.
that you'd be wrong. So we asked what was great. A lot of the singing, the singing, the singing. Um, Brian said the preaching tradition. Uh, I want to read, though, what Jonathan Williams said. He's, he's a minister at what's Johnson's church? Way in the Santa Clarita? Yes, it's like way in the boonies. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what Jonathan said. It's kind of long, so you just stay with me. He says, about three weeks ago, I was at the church building I grew up in, sitting on stage at the funeral of a man I'd known since I was about 12. He had been an example and role model for me. I loved him and his family. While sitting on the stage, I looked into the pews and saw a lot of men who were the men of the church while I was growing up. They were family men. They were dependable. They were respectable. They were strong. As a young boy, I felt safe around them. Our church building was in the hood, but I wasn't afraid to be in the hood. They influenced me. There were men in the church trying to teach me things, and there were men in the streets trying to teach me things. I was impressionable. I could have gone either way. But even when I was young, I knew I wanted to be like the men on the inside. My view of black men was shaped by the men in my church. I wasn't flooded with the negative view and images that many others had. My view of black men was extremely positive because of my direct contact and experience with those black husbands, fathers, laborers, professionals, etc. I've always known that the black men were real men because I knew those black men. I saw them love each other. I saw them support each other. I saw them work together. I saw them celebrate together. I saw them squabble and get over it. I saw them achieve. I saw them love their wives and children. They shook my hand and they hugged me. As I matured, their stories of overcoming meant something to me. And I understood how much energy it took for them to be positive men of faith. And how much they really gave to help the next generation be better and have more. Positive men of the church isn't a uniquely black thing. But it was so important for me because of what black people uniquely struggle with. I love them. I always will. I had to grow up and look back before I could really understand how important they were and are in my life. And before I could really appreciate them the way they deserve. I know the question was probably meant to get answers about practice and traditions. But what I said is what was really great about growing up in a black church for me. Yeah. And I just, I told him, I said, well, I thought he was going to be here today. Um, he's, he's actually on campus, but he said he wanted to go see the millennials. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, go see the millennials then. <laughs> but then we, we talked very positively. And the reason I did that is because uh, many times when we talk about our church experience, we don't talk about how amazing it was. We talk about how all the bad stuff, all the horrible stuff. And I think it causes dysfunction in our religious lives. Right now, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't want to start crying and stuff, but right now I'm in a really bad place in life. I'm having some struggles with the Almighty right now. Right now. But what keeps me straight is hearing Paul say, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, I got that, you know, because when you go through such, you start to pray a lot, right? And supplication, I'm asking for a whole lot. Then there's that next word, with thanksgiving. Make your request. With thanksgiving. And so every time I'm, in, I'm going down that deep rabbit hole, I'm defaulting to my flesh, and I'm praying and I'm calling to God. I remember he says, with thanksgiving. When I start thanking him, I start to get the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what does it have to do with this? Because when, the only thing you talk about is the black stuff and, and ask the bad stuff in, in, at your church, in the white churches or the black churches or the Hispanic churches or, or whatever, the mixture. If all you talk about is the black stuff and the bad stuff and the, the horrible stuff, and if that's all you talk about and, and suddenly you're asking God and you're asking God and you're asking God, but you're never thankful. How can you activate the Holy Spirit in the life of the church? 
when all you are is really just a glorified murderer. The next thing you talked about. <laughs> this problem isn't new. I'm not going to read everything I have on this part because I have a lot. The reason I'm not going to is because I need to get you up and moving in a minute. But I want to I want to show you something. <laughs> See, that's why I miss the old Church of Christ. Let the woman be silent. We had it good, brothers. We had it good. Without Thanksgiving. <laughs> there were no Thanksgiving. Zero Thanksgiving. <laughs> read a couple of things. Some, some of these guys I know, um, um, they're smarter guys than me, so I'm just going to read some of the stuff they said. But I can't read it all, because it's like a lie. <laughs> really? <we don't> know. <laughs> all right. This, this race problem is nothing. Uh, John Mark Hicks. article on the lion's skin. He talks about some things that were going on in 1874. He said, in 1874, Daniel Watkins, an African-American from Nashville, Tennessee, asked David Lipscomb to publish his request for the use of meeting houses so that he might teach Christianity to the more destitute of my people, uh, being black folk, who are willing to hear and receive the truth. Unfortunately, to the dismay of Lipscomb, and he quotes, white brethren in some places refuse the use of their houses at times when unoccupied by themselves. He continues, we do not hesitate to say that such a foolish and unchristian prejudice should be vigorously and eagerly trumpeted underfoot, and all persons who are driven from the church because the house is used by the humblest of God's creatures in teaching and learning the Christian religion would bless the church by leaving it. Basically said, look, you don't belong here anyway if you can't let somebody use your church. The reason I have 1874 to 1915 is because this actually brought something positive. There was now a positive movement um, toward reconciliation. But by 1915, it had gotten worse. By 1915's time, it changed. Um, Womack noted that, quote, only a few of the whites have much or any confidence in the black man, and so many have none, <coughs> close quote. African Americans now worship in congregations segregated by the attitudes that formed by the Jim Crow South. Right. Move on a little further. 1941. This is an article written by Foy E. Wallace. Um, I'm not going to read all of it. Um, I just want to just to show that, that this is not something new, and it is not something that just popped up. And therefore, we should probably abandon a lot of our quick fixes, because these roots are deep. You know, so it's not going to like, you know, we're not going to have like a kumbaya or a Barney moment, and then suddenly everything's cool. Foy Wallace. <clears throat> the reason this one kind of sticks me is because Foy Wallace, um, from, from this author, from Michael Hannigan, uh, and from others, um, was jealous, and I didn't know this, of my preacher growing up. I grew up under Arden Hope. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know that Foy Wallace was jealous of Arden Hope. He says, uh, so much stuff. Really? 
Theological brethren in the valley have reported the definite inclinations of the Negro man and his wife in charge of the orphan home for colored children and combs towards social equality. They are supposed to be members of the church. And some of the white brethren are apparently encouraging them. It is said that these two Negroes have privately stated that they favor social equality and are working for it. The young editor of Christian Soldier in the Valley admits that he roomed with the Negro preacher R.N. Hogan and slept in the same bed with the two knights. And he seemed to be proud of it. Aside being an infringement on the Jim Crow law, it is a violation of Christianity itself and of all common decency. Such conduct forfeits the respect of right-thinking people and would be calculated to stir up demonstrations in most many, most any community if it should become generally known. That's 1940. I'm going to flash forward to 2016. A friend of mine's name is Lawrence Rogers. He's actually here. Lawrence Rogers. He says, I think the church is partially responsible for what happened in Charleston. You guys remember what happened in Charleston? Yeah. Because of our silence on the issue of racial hatred. A minister, colleague of mine, once confessed to me that he knew he had members of the KKK in his church. I asked him, how can a member of the Klan feel comfortable at your church? If the gospel is truly preached, the gospel of love, the gospel of truth, the gospel of liberation, the gospel of repentance, the gospel of reconciliation, then hate can't exist in such an environment. Hate must leave. I don't think a member of the Klan should feel, could feel comfortable in my church because of our witness. My minister friend said in response to my question that he is afraid to preach against racial hatred because he's afraid he will lose his job. Like me, he has heard about many other ministers who are fired from their jobs when they brought diversity to the congregation or taught against racial hatred. So the love of money and the vice of vainglory keep my friend and other ministers silent on the issue of racial hatred. I wanted to do that, especially as, as we have this first session, this introductory session, to kind of give us the idea, the understanding that racial issues, prejudice, etc., in the church, I would be going too far and saying it's part of our DNA because it's not. But if I would say it's part of our pathology, I think I'd be right. That, that we are infested with it. I'll give a story of mine, then we're going to kind of through it now. I was talking to a friend of mine um, um, in Southern California. He wanted to start um, doing some. Some unity kind of meetings. Um, he's a white minister. Good guy, solid guy. But he wanted to start doing some some unity meetings with the black church that was probably a mile from him. So he said, you know, he called me, he said, you know, I'm gonna take you to Starbucks, you know, tell me what I should do. I know just call him. Call him. Go to the church, call him, talk to him. He says, yeah, but uh, you know, why is it so hard? And I started telling him. Well, because often we don't speak the same language. We're using the same words, but we don't have the same meaning. I, I said, I said, um, he said, well, I just want us to be on equal standing. I said, listen, let me tell you something. He's been preaching since you were a child. Since you were a child. Probably knows more than you will make ever know. what he wants to do is he wants to find a way for both the congregants to come together. I said, so when you talk about quality, are you talking about it in all ways? Are you saying that now he's going to come over and you're going to give him a three-time raise? Or <laughs> are you saying you are you really? he looked at me and said, you know what? I get it now. Because I'm pretty straight. I just asked straight out. He said, no, no, I get it. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm not I didn't feel bad about it. I like honesty. I didn't think he was being unchristian. 
I bet he was being real, like, dude, you got to get me kicked out of my house. I was, I, I, I saw a real, I, I understood. But what I'm saying is that sometimes when we're speaking, we're not really speaking, is my point. We're talking because he said, well, you know, he's a full-time minister. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's a full-time minister who's been working, you know, three times as long with you or a third of what you make. So when you start asking me, well, why don't you guys do that and so? Why don't you guys do that and so? Because, you know, you get that in a, in a whole lot of African-American churches. Well, you know, the church down the street, you know, I went to the white church and they blah, you know, they had, oh, it was like Disneyland. Oh, why we don't do that? <laughs> well, you know, you know, black preachers say, well, if you pay more. The amounts are, uh, the amounts are different, but the percentages are pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really an unfair statement. You know, you come at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so you see, you see the point of, of the problem trying to reconcile. reconcile. So here, here's what I want to do. Um, tomorrow, we've got about 15 minutes left. Tomorrow, when we come together, I'm going to start in Ephesians 2 on the last position. I want to give us theological foundation. But today, here's what I want to do. Uh, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're African American, I want you to stand up. All right. Change what I was going to do. Well, because the last time I had a class, it was like four o'clock. Right? Five thousand. Exactly. 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 So the numbers are a little different. So now what I want to have, want to have, have, I want everyone to stand up. Here's what I want you to do. Um, just as quickly as you can. Groups got to be mixed. Groups got to be mixed. Groups got to be mixed. <laughs> <laughs>
me explain the question. Okay. I was, first, most folks who are who are of one race or one ethnicity, one culture, have never really had any deep experiences with the other culture. And what I want you to answer is why have you, haven't you had that experience? You can be as honest or not as you want. You know, you can say I, I, it's too long. <laughs> what I ask you to, to do, though, if, if you say, like, it's too long, I want you to say why you believe that. Church too long. I grew up in Figueroa Church Christ, so we started 10, 15, we got a 12. Figueroa's kind of like that. <laughs> Some churches start 10, 15, got two. I get it. So, so tell me, well, first one's predominantly white. If you, if, if, why is that your only experience? You know, why, why haven't you experienced greater others? Seconds. 
guys from other churches All right, that's time. That's fifth. That's fifth. All right, if you, if you are an African-American person, um, I want you to explain, you know, why you haven't had greater experiences in white churches, uh, greater meaning having been to white churches more or fellowship with, with, with you know. Or if you have to, Say I am. Happy I am. If you're happy, 
spirit in here. <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. If you can, I'd like you to eat dinner with the people in your group. I'd like you to eat dinner with them. And then, I'd like you to sit and worship with people in your group. With your family. There's a reason being. Um, I, I think that's the one, way, one, one of the ways that Jesus manifests. Um, it's, it's very interesting in scripture. I was reading the other day. Um, this guy, he says, you know, Jesus came for three reasons. He came seeking 
accomplish you represent. Thank you. Thank you.